episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller. Every week on this show, I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. Running is what brings us all together, but any runner knows there's so much more to those daily runs than splits, stats, and logging it all on Strava. We're here to talk about the other stuff, the stuff that happens when you hit pause on your Garmin. I want to know about the decisions people have made to get where they are today and how getting sweaty has factored in. So that's what we talk about every week, except this one. This week, I wanted to do a little something different. I thought it would be fun to open up a bit about the Alley on the Run show and what goes on behind the scenes of these episodes. I'm creeping up on 200 episodes, and I've been doing this for about a year and a half now, so I still consider myself to be pretty new to the podcasting game, and I am no expert. I'm still not totally sure I have my microphone set to the correct settings, to be honest, but I love the Alley on the Run show and this amazing community of listeners. So I mentioned on Instagram stories where I'm Allie on the run one, by the way, I mentioned I was going to do this episode and I asked what you wanted to know. Next week, we'll get back to regularly scheduled running conversations. But for now, if you've ever wanted a peek behind the screen, I'm about to tell you everything. So let's go. All right, so I'm going to break these questions down into categories, of course. I like to be organized. So we'll talk about getting started, equipment, prep, guests, recording and editing, sponsor stuff, and to wrap it all up, a category I'm just going to call other. That's our grab bag of questions that just didn't fit anywhere else. So let's start with getting started. First question, has podcasting always been a dream of yours? No, uh, podcasting hasn't existed long enough for it to have always been a dream of mine. When I was very young, my dream was to be a flying horse. And then I went through all of the young girl dreams, you know, dancer, marine biologist, because I thought that just meant playing with dolphins all day. Uh, eventually the dream was to become a magazine writer and editor. And so that's what I did. That's my background. I majored in journalism at Quinnipiac University. I worked at Dance Spirit Magazine. I was an intern there and then I got hired full time and that was the start of my career. So I have a journalism background and that's what led me to podcasting. So you know, the the short version of this story is eventually I stopped dancing, started running. I always ran with music. Then I ran with friends when I lived in New York City. But when my husband and I got married and got a dog, we decided to move to New Jersey to give her a better life, which basically just meant more room to run around and play. So we live in Weehawken, New Jersey now with our dog and our new baby. Well, she's 11 months old now, but with our baby. And once I moved here, I didn't have any running friends and I was sad. And that's when I discovered podcasts and kind of thought I could do this. This is fun. I have made I'd already made a career out of talking to people, interviewing people and writing their stories and profiles. I love, love, love giving people an outlet to share their stories. I think there is so much power in that. I wish Everyone, I wish everyone had a blog. I wish everyone shared their stories everywhere. I just think that there, there's so much power in sharing your story and 
connecting with people in really powerful ways. So that was the goal here. Uh, I didn't have any big long-term plans. I never sat down and said, this will be my next career. I was a freelance writer at the time. That was my career and was going great. And then I started this as a fun thing that maybe someday would make a little extra cash. So definitely has not always been the dream. And the next question was, what made you want to start your podcast? And then she wrote, I'm so glad you did because I love it and I love compliments. So thank you. So that's kind of what made me started. What I said is I was in New Jersey. I was running. I was sick of listening to the same 14 songs on repeat. And I wanted to feel like I was running with friends, but I didn't have any yet in New Jersey. And so I found podcasts. And with them, I got to listen to stories or I got to listen to other people having conversations. And I didn't have to chime in, which don't get me wrong. I love chiming in, but not like at mile 12, not when I'm running up a hill. I don't want to have to respond to you. That's too hard. I'm already out of breath. So this way, I got to feel like I was part of a conversation. I got to learn something. It made my runs fly by and it felt kind of productive. I loved finishing, either feeling inspired, feeling like I learned something, I found someone new to follow. It was totally different. It was a totally different experience for me than running with music. And so I loved that and I thought, hey, I could be a vehicle that helps deliver these conversations to people. So the next question is, how did you get started? And I will tell you, it took me a long, long, long time to get started. I talked about starting a podcast for months and months and months before I took any action on it. I didn't sit and come up with a name. I didn't plan anything. I didn't brainstorm, I guess. I just said, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah, I'm definitely going to start a podcast. And finally, I think it was my husband that was like, so are you doing this or are you just talking about doing this? And I literally launched the next week. I had him make a little graphic for me. I'm sure he was thrilled. It was like 11 p.m. And then I gave him revisions. I didn't have any professional photos of myself. We went outside. I put on, I love hot pink. So I put on my favorite hot pink Lululemon Define jacket and ran back and forth in front of the water. And Brian took photos on my iPhone. Uh, so we used that and he made a little graphic. I couldn't come up with a name. So I already had a blog and just said, we'll call it the Alley on the Run show. And I can always change it later, which I haven't. And so he made my graphic. I was so hung up on like not having a good graphic because that's what matters. And then I picked, you know, I went with four people that I wanted to kick this off with. I knew I wanted to launch with four episodes. And so I reached out to those four people and I was like, hey, I'm launching a podcast. Would love for you to be one of my first episodes. Can you record today? And I think it was all within about three days that I learned how to download Skype and prepped for these conversations, figured out what I even was going to talk about and ask. And I finally just stopped waiting. Um, so the actual launch and getting started, it was a lot of procrastinating and waiting. And I will tell you that in that time, lots of other podcasts similar to what I wanted to do were popping up and I would get mad like that was my idea. Uh, yeah, well, no one knew that because it was in my head not going anywhere. So I say this because if you are sitting on an idea, a dream, a plan, 
the longer you wait to execute on it, the sooner someone else will. So stop waiting. Stop procrastinating. Do as I say, not as I've done. So how did I get started? That's how I got started. Uh, How did you start and get the word out? Well, I was fortunate that when I did launch the show in February of 2017, I'd already been blogging since 2010. So the Alley on the Run blog is a space on the internet that I launched back in October 2010. So I'd already had a bit of a community on the internet, which was amazing and supportive. And then I think like a week before I launched the podcast, maybe, or I don't know, maybe a couple months before I started saying like, hey, this is coming. I'm excited. I'm launching a podcast and just kind of mentioning it and, you know, running my mouth about it before I took any action, I'm sure. And then when I actually launched it, I remember sending an email to friends, family, and some colleagues and former colleagues saying, hey, this exists now. Wanted to let you know. And I posted about it on my blog and social media, and that was it. Um, I did launch with four episodes. Emily Halnan was my very first guest on the Alley on the Run show. She was one of my first, like, internet running friends, and so it was an honor to launch with her. Brian was one of my first episodes, and that conversation was specifically about being married to someone with Crohn's disease. Allison Desir, who is the founder of Harlem Run, was episode three. And John Honerkamp, who at the time was one of the leaders of November Project here in New York City, he was my fourth guest. So uploaded all four episodes, got approved by iTunes, and it was off to the races. Actually, I was off to Utah. I launched it and then got on a plane and went to Utah for like a week with my best friend and her two kids. And um, I remember being like, oh my gosh, I just launched this thing. I should be sitting home working on it. Uh, But we had a really nice trip in Utah and I did some work. I recorded a bunch of episodes out there. So anyway, that's how I started. That's how I got the word out. There was no big launch plan. There was no branding strategy. There was plenty that if I were doing it now, I would do differently. But I think we're doing okay. So the next question is, how did you build your following? And really, I've never done anything strategic there. Like I said, I came into this with a blog and a bit of a following online just from being around for a long time. And it's grown over time. I'm fortunate that uh, I'm putting out a product that I'm proud of. And it's cool when the guests share the episode. That's always a nice perk. And when other people share, when people screenshot and say, hey, I loved this episode, that stuff, it means so much and it goes so far. Because think about it. Why do you listen to a podcast? It's not because of, oh, well, it's ranked 43rd in the fitness category on iTunes. No, it's because someone told you, hey, listen to this great podcast. So word of mouth, like I know I ask for ratings, reviews on iTunes, that really does help. But the biggest thing is tell someone about it. And so I think word of mouth helped a lot. I've been featured in a handful of publications and various like 10 best podcasts to listen to on your next run, like Runner's World, Women's Running, and uh, Women's Health, I think. So stuff like that helps as well. And yeah, but word of mouth is really the best, most organic way to grow. And I've never, you know, I've never put any money behind promoting the show or Instagram or anything like that. It's all just organic. And I also think that's the power of the running community. It's such a special one and one I'm proud to be a part of and hopefully a positive voice within. And then the last question in this category is, do you do all the work yourself or do you have help? And I'm going to break this down more when we talk about editing and all that. But basically, uh, I have an editor. 
Tyler. He's awesome. And I'll explain what he does in a minute. But first, let's talk about equipment. I know this is not the most sexy and glamorous category, but I did get a few questions about this, so I'll just briefly address them. First, I'd love to learn more about finding affordable equipment. So there are ways to start a podcast really cheaply. I mean, my micro- my first microphone was less than $100. I got a blue snowball microphone, and I think I bought it used, so um, it was like new cat, uh, quality, but it Uh, And it did the job fine, but it was affordable because I didn't know how long I was sticking with this. And everything else is free. I use Audacity editing software. I've since, and, and Audacity is free as well. I've since upgraded my microphone. I now have the Blue Yeti. I mean, I don't know if it's technically an upgrade, but I like it better. And so I have that as my microphone now. And then I already had a blog, so I already had a place for the episodes to live. I host on a a platform called Libsyn, which is fantastic. I have had a great experience with them. When I started out, I was on SoundCloud. I think one person was like, use SoundCloud. And I was like, okay. And then, of course, everyone was like, why are you using that? You should definitely not use SoundCloud. Uh, I'm not an expert on the why there. A lot of people said it was going out of business. Of course, it's two years later and it still exists. But I moved over to Libsyn about, when did I do that? Um, About a year ago, a little more, a year and a half ago. I moved over to Libsyn and it's been a really great experience over there. Wonderful customer service. And you just pay a small host fee every month and it depends on the size of your episodes. When I started out I was on the most basic plan because I was only doing one episode a week. Now I'm up to almost three episodes a week sometimes depending on what's going on and what series is series is series. It depends on what I've got going on, but I have a slightly larger, more expansive plan now. And uh, yeah, but hosting is nothing crazy. And, you know, using iTunes is free. And so it doesn't have to be an expensive endeavor. Uh, So yeah, Audacity is the software that I use on my computer to edit. And my microphone is a Blue Yeti. And I will include links to everything I'm mentioning in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can go back there and reference it all. I highly recommend if you are a woman thinking about joining a podcast, check out the She Podcasts group on Facebook. I'm not very active in it anymore because I kind of you know, I sort of know what I'm doing. But when I was getting started, it was a really wonderful resource with great conversations in all the things people were posting and lots of great resources from the two women who started it. So I really highly recommend joining that group on Facebook. That's our equipment category. See, painless. Now we're getting into some of the fun stuff. Now we're going to talk about the prep and we're going to talk about guests. So the first question in this category, how do you prep? And they sort of all go together. How do you prep? How do you think of such great questions to ask? Which I feel like there's a compliment in there. So thank you. And do you have any training in broadcasting or journalism? So as I mentioned earlier, yes, my background is in journalism. I do feel that I think that to be a good podcast host in a format like this, where you're doing interviews or, you know, facilitating these conversations, I think that the most important thing is just curiosity, right? Is just genuinely caring about the guests, genuinely being very curious about them. And that's 
always what I've been like. I've always, and I'm sure I've told this story before, but I've always been that girl who on a street corner looks around and instead of waiting for the light to change, I'm looking at all the people and I just want to know what brought you to this street corner today at this exact time. Do you live here? Do you live nearby? Are you on your lunch break? Why do you live here in the first place? Are you a tourist? Are you like, are you in town for the day? I just am so fascinated by people's stories what they've done to get where they are. Are they where they always wanted to be? Where are they on their way to? Are they running towards something or away from it? I just really, really fascinated by people's lives. And so I think being motivated by curiosity is incredibly important if this is something you're interested in doing. And I know that it's what fuels me. And that's been true since long, long, long before I started the Alley on the Run show. And it's a big motivator for why I got into journalism and doing what I did in my career before I started doing this. I was never someone who wanted to report on hard news. I always wanted to be a profile writer. And that was my those were my favorite types of stories to write when I was at Dance Spirit. I still write lots for Dance Spirit and Dance Magazine. I love interviewing people, asking them questions, getting them to think about things in a new way, and figuring out how do we share your story. So Uh, That's my background. I don't have training in broadcasting, but I do have a background in my my specific major at Quinnipiac was print journalism, which is kind of funny. I I should check. I'm sure the print journalism major no longer exists, but you got to choose print journalism or broadcast journalism. And I wish I had double majored. I would have loved to do both. Why didn't I do that? Did it not cross my mind? No, I think I just I knew I wanted to be a writer. So that's my background. It served me really well and it taught me a lot. Um, though, I mean, I think it was less what I learned in college and more what I've learned on the job, which I think is always, you know, that's kind of always true in life, right? The best way to learn is by doing. So in terms of how do I prep, how do I think of all these questions, right? Well, first of all, I'm not just throwing a dart at a dartboard full of names and saying, okay, that's my guest for the week. My list of guests, which we'll talk about shortly, people I am fascinated by, people I want to learn about. So before I even get to the prep stage, I I generally know a bit about what I want to talk about, right? So, okay, Emily Sisson was a guest recently. She's an amazing professional runner. I knew I wanted to talk about her year. Sure, I want to know about everything that has led up to where she is today, but I really wanted to know how did she get to this point where she's having such a breakthrough year? Why did she decide to say, I'm going to put a, well, she hasn't really put a pause, but why did she want to go for the marathon? Why was that distance intriguing to her? Did she have any hesitation? So I always know what I really want to talk about. From there, I go deep. I I go hard on the Google. Uh, I, of course, look at the person's social media. In most cases, I'm already following them anyway. So I'm looking. Instagram is the best for that. What are they posting about recently? That gives me an idea of their general mood or what's going on. Maybe they're dealing with an injury and I can see, I can go back and see, okay, when did it pop up? And 
you know, it's less about studying their life and more about putting together patterns of, okay, seems like they've been happy for a while. Oh, they've really opened up about some tough times. Like uh, Amanda Nurse, who was just on last week, Amanda is this amazing ray of positive sunshine. And right before we recorded, she happened to post something on Instagram about motherhood, which I had never seen her really open up about. And so we were able to talk about that on the episode. And I always, you know, and then of course I Google them. What old news articles about them might come up? What, uh, you know, what interesting stories can I find? And I'll generally, you know, I might reference those or just kind of piece together what I want to talk about. And from there, I figure out how best am I structuring this conversation? So sometimes I just open up and my first question might be something along the lines of, did young Amanda Nurse, Emily Sisson, Emily Halnan, whoever it is, did young X see this future for herself? I think that's especially interesting with the professional runners. Did they always want to be a professional runner? Did something not work out along the way? Did someone pull them aside and say like, hey, you've got talent? That to me is really interesting. And uh, in other cases, I might want to start with something more current. Like if someone just ran an amazing race two days prior and the episode's coming out this week, we're going to talk about that race. We're not wasting any time. Um, I think with Allie Ostrander when she was on, she had just had this amazing race at Worlds and it was like the next day. So of course, let's get right in. We're not going to, I don't want to wait to talk about it because I'm excited about it. I'm sure she's excited. And of course, the audience knows she just did it. So let's jump right in. So that's sort of how I structure things in terms of uh, one of the things you learn in journalism school and any newspaper editor will tell you this is we are taught don't bury the lead. So if something really big and amazing is going on with my guest, I'm not going to make you wait until the 42 minute mark to get to it. I'm going to keep you engaged that whole time. I'm going to do my best. And so is the guest. But if an, if something's timely and current, we're going to start off with that. So that's generally where I go with that. And now we've got a bit more in the guests category. So let's really break that down. Most popular question was, how do you pick your guests? How do you find guests? What draws you to a guest? And I thought this was interesting is a few people asked, what is your criteria for guests? So let me just put this out there. I do not care how many Instagram followers you have. I do not care how fast you run. I do not care if you've done a marathon. I do not care if you've done a hundred marathons. Um, I mean, obviously, if you've done a hundred, like that's a pretty interesting part of your story. That might be cool to talk about. But all this to say, there's no criteria. Well, you need to be a good person. And I will say there have been a couple instances where I was really enamored with someone. And after the fact, kind of found out like, ooh, that might have been, you know, Sometimes my judgment might be off. That happens. I'm human and I trust everyone and I think everyone is genuinely good. So of course that's going to bite me in the butt in life sometimes, but uh, not too often here on the show. So there's no criteria. I don't care what you look like. I don't care about anything on paper. I care that you're interesting and I care that you're kind. I don't want people on this show who are jerks. I don't want people who are off-putting. I don't expect all of my guests to agree with me. And I don't expect 
us to see eye to eye on things. In fact, I think there is huge value in having people on who can teach me something. That I think is the most important, the most so in my 174, did I say, episodes, whenever I ask people what's been your favorite, most memorable, most impactful, so many people will go back to episode 13 with my dear friend Chris Mosier, who talked about being a transgender duathlete. Chris is one of the greatest people I know, and there's a reason that episode has had such staying power, because Chris so genuinely and honestly opened up about his life. He let me ask questions that I really wanted the answers to. And he gave me grace in understanding I was not an expert on the topic we were talking about. And we led with that where I said, Chris, I'm going to ask a lot of like, I think we joked and I said, this is like trans 101. I don't know the answers to these. No amount of research could have taught me what it's like to go through life with this major identity shift and the decision to transition. And and Chris taught me so much, and I know that he taught listeners so much because I still get feedback about that episode, and it's been almost two years since it came out. So um, we text about it all the time. We're, we're like, hashtag episode 13, because we just love that people, the response to it was so just kind and gracious and grateful. And that's what I'm here to do. So I don't expect every single episode to change the world and every conversation to blow people's minds. But when that can happen, and and similarly, when Carolyn Sue was on, she's the founder of Diverse We Run. I mean, that one for me was one of the most rewarding conversations I've ever had in my life. She taught me so much. I took so much value away from that conversation, and it changed my whole outlook, not just on the show that I'm creating, but on my views of the world, how I behave in public, in private. It was just, those are the conversations I'm so grateful to have. And Chris, I've known for a long time, but Carolyn, I wouldn't have known if not for this show. She reached out. We had a really amazing conversation, and we said, hey, let's record this. So All of that to say, the criteria for being a guest on this show is I want to hear from people who have cool stories, inspiring stories, who make me want to step back and think, who might change my worldview. I am very open-minded in that I want to know about, you know, um, who was it? When when Sarah and Ryan Hall came on, they talked a lot about their faith. When Beatty Deitch, who is marathon mother on Instagram, uh, she came on. She's an Orthodox Jewish woman who got married when she was 19 and immediately had five kids. Like, is that a life that I would ever see for myself? No. But I loved learning about why that was great for her. And I think it's really important to have these conversations to share them and to do it with an open mind because don't we just need more of that in the world? (laughs) Like empathy, kindness. Um, We didn't leave those conversations saying like, okay, do we now all agree on our beliefs in God? Of course not. That's not the goal. It's not the expectation. The goal and the expectation is to have a fun conversation that might inspire someone who's listening. So that's my criteria. If you think you have an amazing story, Email me, reach out, you know where to find me. I would love to hear your story. And then someone asked, um, and I should say, um, in terms of criteria, I say, you know, I don't care what you look like. I don't care about any of that. And I don't. 
I do tend to feature mostly women on this show. I understand that my listeners are primarily women. I relate better to women. I am not opposed to having men on the show, but I don't think it'll it'll ever be a place where it's, you know, a 50-50 split or predominantly male guests. I do tend to have more more female guests. And, um, you know, if you'd love to hear more male voices, if that's something you're really craving and the audience feels strongly about that, let me know because I'm not I'm not opposed to it. I think men are cool, too. Uh, okay, so someone asked, how do you find all of the amazing women to feature on the show? Are they all your BFFs? Yes. Des Linden is my BFF. Kayla Itzinas is my BFF. Um, no, they are all—they are not all my BFFs. I would love that. So some of them are my friends. Some are people that we've followed each other online. Some are just really cool people that I want to talk to and I reach out. And, you know, I generally find a way. I've never had someone on my list and said, well, I can't get them on because I don't know how to reach them. I have found a way to reach these people. It doesn't mean everyone said yes. That's not the case. Uh, I found a way to get in touch with Alicia Keys's assistant. So I will find a way. She turned me down um, for now. But I, I'll find a way. And again, maybe that's the, the former journal or current, I guess, journalist in me. But um, I'll find a way. They're not all my BFFs. But that being said, I do keep in touch with almost all of them, which is really cool. Um, I, I loved at the holidays this year, like watching the holiday cards roll in. And I will admit, I felt pretty darn cool when I got a Christmas card from Kara Goucher. And um, it's still on the fridge because Annie loves it. She, they're wearing sunglasses in it. Kara and her husband, Adam, and their son, Colt, they're wearing sunglasses. And Annie likes to point at the sunglasses and laugh. So Kara, if you're listening, uh, Annie loves your Christmas card. How did you get guests starting out? I asked. You will never get anything in life if you do not ask. I don't care if it's a raise or vacation time, a guest on your podcast, help at home, Nothing's going to magically happen. No one's going to just open doors for you. You have to open them yourself. You have to make the ask. Um, okay, so then someone asked, you have so many amazing guests. Thank you. What is the process for setting up interviews? So mine is really informal, casual, and pretty simple. I reach out through whatever means, whether it's an email, a text, an Instagram DM, and I say, I, I keep it very short. I'm Allie. I'm the host of the Allie on the Run show. Would love to talk to you about being a guest on my show. From there, it's a pretty straightforward conversation. Usually they say, oh my gosh, that sounds cool. (laughs) Most don't say, oh my gosh, I added that for effect. And that's how I talk. But most say like, okay, cool, let's talk. And then I send an email with more details that basically says, this is what the show is. It's conversational. I I make sure that they know there is no prep needed on your end. I don't make people fill out a questionnaire before they come on. I do all the research on my own. I don't ask for anything from them, except that when we talk, they're somewhere quiet with good Wi-Fi. Because <laughs> if we're not recording in person, that's really important. Uh, so... I I explain a bit about the show. I throw out some times that work for my schedule, but I always do my best to accommodate theirs. That's really important to me. Anyone who's coming on the show is giving me an hour of their time. 
Time is our greatest resource and it's fleeting and I respect that and I want to honor that. So I offer a couple times to start. They get to say, none of those work for me, but this one does and I'll figure it out. I will figure out childcare. I will have Annie here. I will record. I've recorded at 8 a.m. on a Saturday and I've recorded at 10 p.m. on a Thursday. So I will make it happen. I will accommodate them. I always say I will not take more than an hour of your time. Sometimes they have a hard out. And I say that too. If you can only give me 45 minutes, great. We'll have a great 45 minutes. So I make it work in the time I have, but I really respect people's time. And I think that they're doing me such a huge favor by coming on the show that I would never want to um, not be grateful for that and be respectful of that. So the process is finding a time to record and then making it happen. Do you have to pay the people you interview? Do you pay your guests or give them a gift? Basically, how do you get them to come on the show? Um, So like I said, I ask and they say yes. Um, Journalistic practice is you do not pay your sources. Uh, So no, I, I don't think that's ethical that I don't pay them. I know some people who have podcasts pay their guests. Totally fine. Um, that's just kind of how I've been groomed to think like, no, you don't pay your people. Um, that being said for the regular Thursday episodes, which are sponsored by Aftershocks, which you'll hear more about in a minute. Um, you know, I love my Aftershocks wireless headphones. We send every guest a pair of Aftershocks as a thank you for coming on the show. So Aftershocks every couple months, they send me like a huge box filled with their amazing headphones. And then after a guest comes on the show, I put together a whole nice little gift box where I do a handwritten card because I think, you know, I think that's nice. So I have little cards made that have a picture of me and Ellie running and it says, thanks for being a guest on the Ellie on the Run show. So I write a nice note saying thank you for coming on the show. And then I package the headphones up in hot pink tissue paper because I love hot pink. Find an old, I have like a huge stack. Anytime we order something on Amazon, I save the box because I then use those to mail them. And then like every other week, I go to the post office with a whole bunch of boxes and I send my guests their Aftershocks headphones. So I, I just think it's so simple. It's really generous of Aftershocks to be willing to do that. And um, it's an, you know, it's a treat to get to make people happy. So um, if you come on the show and I'm still working with Aftershocks, which I hope I am, you'll get a pair. Uh, But no, I do not pay them and uh, they get headphones. Yay. How do you handle awkward silences, if any, with guests? So I want to say that there is power in the silence. I don't look at silence as awkward. I look at silence as, you know, if, if it's after I've asked a question, the guest is thinking about how they're going to answer it. I don't think that's awkward. I think that's beautiful. And I actually don't think there's ever awkward silences. I think I feel those, uh, you know, I can tell if a guest is uncomfortable. I can tell if we've touched on a topic they might not want to talk about, which rarely if ever happens. But, um, you know, if you're truly listening to the person you're talking to, I don't think that you get into those instances. And I don't think that you have to really navigate around them because you'll be able to realize like, okay, 
they're uncomfortable. They're not really opening up to me. And I've had that. I mean, I've had guests on who are a little quiet, who maybe needed a bit of time to really open up. I think in most of the conversations, the first 10 minutes are a bit of getting to know each other um, if it's someone I haven't talked to before. So it's always a little stiff at the beginning. By the end, yeah, it tends to feel like we're really good friends. So um, just like if you met someone at a party for the first time or on that street corner, if Someone came up to you with a microphone. Why are you on this street corner? What are you doing here? Like you might need a minute to ease in. So I don't think silences are awkward. Um, and I think that it's a matter of, you know, switch the topic or if, you know, you can, I can generally tell if the person is holding back, I can get a feel for if they're holding back because they're uncomfortable or because they're just not sure how to answer. If I feel that they might be open to talking about whatever topic we're on, I might ask a question in a different way to get them to open up a bit. But if I kind of sense like, uh, okay, like she might not want to talk about that bad race she had, we'll move on. I also always ask my guests before we start recording. I remind them. I say this is not live except for the live shows. I say this is not live. I can edit anything as needed. I will not make you uncomfortable. Tell me if you ever want to start something over, if you want to move on from a topic or if anything makes you uncomfortable. And I ask if anything is off limits. And usually they'll say like, nope, I'm an open book or whatever you want. And I still say, okay, I don't, this is not intended to be a controversial conversation, but if anything comes up that you're not comfortable talking about, let me know. We will move right on and it gets up, it gets edited out. I am never going to let my guests feel uncomfortable. I never want them to dread the episode coming out. I never want them to have to email me after saying like, oh my gosh, can you edit that part out? You can't expect someone to share their story candidly if they are on edge or don't feel comfortable talking to you. So I think it's really important to try to create an environment where people are comfortable to open up. And that can be hard over Skype because it's not, I don't use video either. We're just on audio. We're not looking at each other. So it's just like having a phone call. And so it can be hard to facilitate that. But I mean, so many of the guests I've had on are just absolute rock stars with it and and do a great job. Uh, do you keep in touch with the people you interview? I do. Um, like I said, I mean, Kara Goucher sent me a Christmas card. Like I feel so cool, but I really do. I mean, it's cool. I It makes me, it just fills my heart with joy that after I had Gabe Grunewald on the show, she, I believe, was episode 62. We kept in touch all the time after she was on and I would check in with her. And then when I got pregnant and after I had Annie, she would send me sweet notes. And I look back on those now and Gabe passed away a few months ago. And I look back on those now and I feel so grateful to have those mementos to, you know, remember her by. And I never met Gabe in person. So it seems, you know, almost silly to say that, but um, I'm grateful that I was able to have that conversation with her. And, and then I have those little snippets of our emails and texts and DMs to look back on. And, and yeah, I do. I keep in touch with a lot of the people. Um, You know, I, I like that every now and then I text Andrea Barber, who, you know, is Kimmy Gibbler on 
full house and that like, you know, childhood alley certainly never thought she would be just having conversations with someone like Andrea Barber. And so, yeah, it's cool. And then so many of the people I mentioned, Carolyn Sue earlier, who she came on the show and we probably DM each other on Instagram almost every day now. And it's not like lengthy conversations, but just little ways to show our support for each other. And I think that that's really cool to, um, you know, to go into these conversations where we might not know a ton about each other and coming out on the other side of the hour as friends or people who want to keep in touch. I sound like probably a little obnoxious doing all this name dropping here, but we, uh, this what was it, two weeks ago when I did the live show at RunnerCon with New York Roadrunners. So I had done it two years ago when my guests at the first one, when I was super pregnant, my guests were Jenny Simpson and Emma Coburn. And I was literally leaving the show to go right to my baby shower. And Emma and Jenny were so cute. I remember them touching my belly, which I loved, and they asked, so it was fine. Um, And they were just so sweet about it that I was about to have this baby. And so then, um, and Jenny and I have kept in touch, and I talked to Emma too. And so I saw Jenny at RunnerCon, and we happened to be leaving the run center at the same time. And she looked at me and was like, oh my God, because she saw that Annie was with me, Annie, who was then 10 months old. And she was so sweet. And she was like, you're on the outside now. And um, was just like, a really sweet moment of just having these relationships with people that I might only see once a year, might not even see in real life, and to just get to keep in touch and get to know each other a little bit. So I think that's super special too. Are you looking for new guests to interview? Always. I have a spreadsheet on my computer that has probably 300 names on it. I am always up to add to that. Let's make it 400, 500, 600. Do most people agree to go on the show? Yes, I've been. So I've had a few people that I've reached out to that I just haven't gotten responses to uh, or from. Uh, Like I mentioned, Alicia Keys turned me down. Uh, Since I launched the show, I have been going back and forth with the team at Every Mother Counts trying to get Christy Turlington on the show, and we have never made it happen. Uh, they've said yes. And then her schedule gets crazy. So they say like, oh, do you want to have our executive whoever instead? And I'm like, no, I really want Christy. Uh, so that one is one that like wasn't a hard no, but hasn't happened. I did get a hard no from, uh, a woman who was a fitness instructor in the city, uh, who said it didn't like, I don't know. It didn't like align with her current career goals or something. (laughs) I was like, okay. Uh, But yeah, most people say yes, which is so cool and such an honor. And I'm so grateful for that. We're going to wrap up this category. Two more. How much time do you spend talking to them before and after recording? Not much. Like I said earlier, I give that little spiel of I can edit. Do you have any questions for me? Is anything off limits? And then we dive in. Uh, So not a lot with people that I haven't met before. It's really, uh, you know, it's really quick. It's like three minutes. And the reason for that is, like I said, I have an hour of their time. I want to use it for the recording, not for making small talk and trying to be their best friend. And I should say, I know I just talked about like keeping in touch with these people. And that's a really wonderful, um, I mean, it's not a perk because it's genuine. That's like a cool result of some of these conversations, but that's never my goal. My goal is to have conversations with people I think are interesting and can provide value to both myself and to this audience and this community that I care very deeply about. The goal isn't like, I'm going to have Andrea Barber on so she can be my best friend. Like, it's really cool 
that we've kept in touch. And that's because she's a great person. And she's not like a crazy Hollywood star with a giant ego. She is a great woman that I feel lucky to have in my life. Uh, So with stuff like that, yeah, that might be a result of some of them. But I'm not like trying to make these people into my best friend. And I think it was interesting if you listen to the episode with the women reporting on women's running, which was uh, Allison Wade, Lindsay Krauss, Aaron Strout, and Sarah Lorge Butler. They talked about that from their perspective of they are journalists reporting on women's running. They are not Shalane Flanagan's best friend. They know Shalane. They know her family. They've been to her house to cover what she's doing in the sport. Uh, there's a difference between being a journalist, being a friend. I think with podcasting, that that line doesn't exist or it's blurry. Uh, but it's important for me to maintain journalistic integrity. And if I end up having a relationship with these people, that's great. That's not my goal. Okay, the the last question in this category, you're pretty much celebrity status, which is hilarious. Uh, Do you ever get weirded out or scared by anyone? When you were new at it, did you get nervous doing interviews? Okay, so this is a funny question because, well, I need to, I want to look at my list. So I have had a few interviews. Most don't make me nervous at all. I'm very comfortable talking to people. Like I said, I've made a career out of talking to people. It's my favorite thing to do. That being said, I have had a couple interviews where I was a little nervous. Most recently, when I had Allie Ostrander on, she was episode 162, I was really nervous talking to Allie because she is cool And she had just done this whole post calling out race commentators for commenting on her appearance and and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, like if I slip up, I don't want to be the subject of her next post being like, I recorded a podcast episode with this chick, Allie, and she was like, wow, you're really short or like something. Uh, So I was actually a little bit nervous with Allie of I just was like, I want to be, you know, I'm always I'd like to think respectful of my guests. But um, with Allie, I was like, and she's really sarcastic. So I was like, I, you know, I got to be on my A game because she's funny. Uh, so I, I was like nervous in a, in a weird way about that one. Um, that's really the only one that comes to mind in terms of being nervous. I think because it's just fun getting to talk to people. Um, yeah, no one else, um, no one else really comes to mind. And I think by Someone, you know, and I think this goes around, someone posts or many people post or it's a meme, I don't know, but that the key to confidence is being prepared. And I really agree with that. I think the more that you prepare, the more confident you'll feel. And so I don't feel nervous or anxious going into these conversations because I really try to thoroughly prepare for what we're going to talk about. I feel comfortable with the subject matter. Uh... So yeah, I think that that uh, I think that wraps up that category. Before we move on to talk about all things recording, editing, and other here on the show, let's hear from our sponsor, Aftershocks. So as I'm talking all about what goes into making the Alley on the Run show possible, there's a really key component behind a decent microphone, some basic software, and a lineup of great guests. There's Aftershocks. Aftershocks has been a partner of the Alley on the Run show for a long time now. And as the show's title sponsor, they make what I'm doing here possible. And I'm really proud to work with them because I so strongly believe in and use 
Aftershock's wireless headphones. So let's talk about those headphones. The Aftershock's wireless headphones feature an over-the-ear design, which is perfect for people with weird, tiny, giant, or otherwise picky ears. Or if you're like me and you just really hate the idea of having something like an AirPod actually shoved in your ears, ew. And obviously, the wireless factor is key. No runner should be out there dealing with wires, cords, and endless tangles. We have enough to deal with on the run. Don't let your headphones be a distraction. In fact, another great feature of Aftershocks' headphones is that they aren't a distraction from the outside world. Unlike headphones that go in your ears, Aftershocks' headphones sit outside them. That means you can hear your music, your podcasts, your mom on the phone, but you can still hear the outside world too. If you're going to run with headphones, Aftershocks is your only safe option. I can't emphasize that enough. Oh, and the newly launched Aeropex headphones. They feature an eight hour battery life. I don't know about you, but I am not out running for eight hours. So the Aftershocks headphones can outlast me by far. Big thank you to Aftershocks for making this show possible. They are the reason I get to have so much fun doing this and they're the reason you get to listen to it all for free. A great way to support me and this show is to support the sponsors behind it. So go to ontherun.aftershocks.com and you'll get $50 off Aeropex Endurance Bundles. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. All right, should we keep talking podcasting? Let's go. The next category is recording and editing. We've actually already touched on quite a bit, so I think we'll fly through this one. So first, how long does it take you to record an episode? Well, like I mentioned, I use an hour to actually have the conversation with people. Sometimes we go a little over, uh, as you may have seen. Some episodes are a bit longer, but generally the idea is that every episode will be an hour long. On top of that, I spend time recording my intros, my sponsor spots, which you just heard, and my closers. So I block out an hour of time to do that. It never takes me an hour, um, especially now that I don't need to sit down and like go to the Aftershocks website and make sure I'm hitting the bullet points. I know the bullet points. I can tell you all about bone conduction technology if you want. So I record the episode with the guest for an hour and then I block out about, you know, maybe half an hour of time to write out my scripts and record them, and then the recording part is done. So an hour and a half, let's say, to record. How long do you actually spend interviewing the guest? One hour, try not to go over. How much do you typically record but not air after editing? So the editing process for me is really just cleaning it up. So what that means is if uh, if a guest started something over, which is pretty rare, if there's a really long silence, I might trim that up a little bit. I also try to polish it up a little. So if there are lots of ums, some people when they're talking, they do this before they talk, that little noise. So, okay. And that noise, even though I just did it, is uh, it drives me crazy on podcasts. So I edit those out. And the cool thing, I listen to the episode when I'm editing. I listen to it start to finish. But I can also now, from doing this, I know what they look like. I know what the sound waves on the screen look like. So it's kind of cool to be able to go through and see, okay, that's a noise. Let me edit that out. Uh, which going back and editing, this is going to be fun because I'm going to see them. And my, you know, my inclination is going to be to edit those out. But I'm keeping them. You understand. Okay, so that's how much uh, I, I don't really 
edit out entire chunks of our conversations because for the most part, I try to keep it moving as we're recording so that we're not lingering on a subject too long or really, you know, talking something to death. Uh, It's pretty rare for me to cut out entire chunks of a conversation. Okay, popular question. How do you record Skype calls? How do you record the people who call in instead of being in the studio with you? What are you using to record your calls? The sound quality is so much better than my recorder. I use Skype when I can't be with a guest in most cases. Some guests don't have Skype. And so instead of saying, okay, well, I'd like you to download it, if they don't have it, we're using Zoom. Zoom is easy. Most people are familiar with it. I just send them a link or a dial-in and they can use Zoom. Again, it's all about making my guests comfortable. That being said, I think I've probably done eight or fewer conversations over Zoom. Most people are comfortable using Skype, which is great. That being said, Skype kind of sucks. It's hard knowing that I'm on this end with my professional microphone and headphones and my, you know, usually reliable Wi-Fi, and I can't control it on the guest's end. So if you're listening to an episode and you're like, oh, the guest doesn't sound great, unfortunately, there's not a ton I can do to control that. Uh, I recommend they be somewhere quiet with good Wi-Fi, ideally wearing headphones plugged into the computer. I always say I'd love for them to be on a computer over phone because it tends to be better, but I can't control that, nor am I going to. I'm never going to demand that they be on a computer. If we run into major audio issues while we're recording, I try to troubleshoot that. I've had plenty, oh my gosh, so many issues with Skype. Um, Oh, and I should say Skype has um, an additional program you can download called Skype Call Recorder, or it's called Ecamm. Just download that. It's also free, and that you can set up so it automatically records all your Skype calls. Um, That can also be handy if you have like a call with your HR department. It's good to have those recorded. Um, So we use Skype. We don't use the video setting because it tends to mess with the audio. And I learned that lesson the hard way a couple times. And so it's really about, uh, and this is another thing I include in my little preamble with the guests, as I say. And by the way, Skype can be really finicky sometimes. If we run into any audio issues along the way, we will troubleshoot them when they happen. I hate when a guest is in the middle of a really powerful story and all of a sudden it gets staticky or they bleep out completely and I have to like jump in and say, I'm so sorry, can you repeat that? Like it's so awkward and it sucks when that happens, but at the same time it's it's a podcast. I need it to sound as as great as possible. Recording in person is always the best option because I can control the audio, but it's it's hard. It's hard to get together, especially now that I have a kid and I have limited childcare. It's that that can't always happen. And again, I respect people's time, so I don't um, I don't want them to have to go out of their way. A lot of people do prefer recording in person, though. So we try to I try to accommodate that every time. So that's how I record the calls. Uh, If the sound quality really sucks, you know, I edit around it if I can. I'm trying to think of, um, there have been a few that like uh, the audio was really hard. If you listen to the episode with Kate Landau, uh, the like badass mom who overcame a crazy eating disorder to come back and run like a 
229 marathon. Uh, oh, the audio was really rough on that one. She had just moved and she was using her neighbor's Wi-Fi and a train kept going by. It was like a perfect storm. Uh, but that was when she could record. And so we just went with it. Um, but I remember having to do some clever editing with that one. Uh, what others? Um, oh, the um, episode 148 with April Cargill, who's amazing. Her dog was barking in the background like the whole time. And I kept hoping it would stop. And finally, I was just like, oh, is that your dog? Um, And I know April, so it's fine. She was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So the guests, you know, I can hear both sides. And so I hear how it's recording and I hear what's picking up. They don't know. They're just talking into their computer or their, you know, whatever, their phone. So I have to be the one as much as I don't want to jump in and say like, oh, it bleeped out or whatever. Uh, It's my job to do that. And so I warn them beforehand that that might happen. And every time I log into Skype, I cross my fingers and I hope for the best. Okay. Are you video chatting with the guests? I, I just answered that. No, we are not video chatting. I have had a few people say they would prefer to. Uh, that actually happened very recently. And I was like, okay. And I was for sure not wearing a bra or any makeup, had not showered since the gym because I just was not expecting to be seen, but wanted them to be comfortable. So we did it. Okay. Editing. How much time does it take to edit an episode? Um, yeah, lots of questions. How long does it take? How long, how do you prepare an episode to go live? Amount of time and effort. Okay. So let's get into all of that. This is my process. So I record the conversation with the guest, right? That's about, I mean, really it's an hour and a half start to finish by the time I log in, record, finish, save, export, etc. Then I record my intro, my sponsor spot, and my closer. From there, I export them so they are all the same format. And then I label them in order. One, you know, one, intro, two, conversation, three, sponsor spot, four, closer. I go on WeTransfer, I use the free version, and I send them to my editor, Tyler. What Tyler does is he pieces it all together. So Tyler adds the music and the fading. Tyler also cleans it up, so he's able to level the audio. This was something that right away I tried to figure out. I sat with Audacity for a couple hours. I watched the YouTube tutorials. I just, I couldn't grasp it, and I just wanted to get this thing launched. And so I said, this is my thing. I'm outsourcing it. I will never stress over audio again. And so I pay Tyler to edit my episodes. And he's been with me from episode one right through to this one. Hi, Tyler. You're doing a great job. Uh, He is amazing. And we don't have a schedule. So it's basically like I text him and I'm like, hey, just finished an episode. When can you get it back? And fortunately, he works freelance. So he's usually able to turn them around pretty quick. And he does a great job. We have a really good uh, team in place here. So Tyler's my guy. And um, yeah, so he he also cleans it up and sounds good. So he does all the piecing together. Then he sends it back to me. And what I then do is I listen to the episode start to finish Then that's when I'm editing out the ums, the noises. That's when I'm cleaning it up. That's also when I'm writing the show notes. So if you've ever referenced the show notes that I talk about, which are on my website, they also show up in iTunes or whatever platform or app you're using. So the show notes, I write an intro about the person. I like to pull out some fun quotes as I hear them. So editing, if I'm doing a one hour episode, editing takes about two hours. So I'm pausing every time I'm typing something. I write an intro, a bio about them. I break down. um, I, when I listen to podcasts, I like to know, like, 
If a podcast is like, oh, on this episode, we talk about X, Y, Z, and H. If I only want to hear about X and H, I don't necessarily want to listen to the entire episode. Sorry. But I want to know when in the episode I can hear those. So that's why I've always broken it down. And I type out notes that say what different topics we're talking about at different minutes in the conversation. So if I say, and Amanda Nurse, we talk about her running journey, her road to the Olympic trials twice, and and she opens up about motherhood. Well, if you only, if you're not a runner, but you want to know about the motherhood stuff, you can reference the show notes and you'll see, okay, at the 42 minute and 35 second mark, Amanda opens up about motherhood. And so I try to make it really uh, easy to navigate for the listeners, whether you listen to the whole episode or not. I don't know if anyone references them. Uh, feel free to let me know if you do. I also include anything that we mention on the show, if it's a book, an article, a product, um, a university, whatever comes up, I link to all those things. So there's a category called stuff we mention on this episode. That way, if it's like, oh, wait, what was that toy that Allie said Annie liked playing with when she was six months and two weeks old? I will link to that and you can find it. I include all the links where you can find the the guest on social media. And then I, yeah, so I write the show notes. I format them. I include a photo of the person. So it's a lot of um, just details, putting everything together. Once I've edited the episode down, like I said, it takes about two hours for a one-hour episode. I export it again. I send it back to Tyler because my program does not let me export as an MP3. And I need to have an MP3 file to upload to Libsyn. So Tyler exports it for me every time. And then it's ready to go. That's my little, it's all packaged up. And then I upload every episode. I say they go live on Thursdays, but if you've been around a while, you know I actually upload them on Wednesday nights so they are ready for your Thursday morning run. So that's the process of of editing and the amount of time it goes into doing that. Um, yeah, how many episodes do you edit in a week? How long does one episode take from concept to upload? I think I've kind of covered that, but in terms of how many in a week, uh, it really depends. Sometimes I'm recorded so far ahead that I've got stuff for the full month and a half. Uh, other times it's one week to the next. So it really depends on people's availability. How did you learn to edit? I didn't. I tried and I cried. <laughs> I just, you know, there's just certain things that I'm sure I could have eventually learned. And look, I know, I mean, now I know how to edit in terms of editing down the episode. But when I was starting out, I could not figure out how to get the music to fade without like dropping off really aggressively. And I was just like, screw it. Now I think I could probably figure that out or be shown very quickly. But it's just nice to have to send it over to Tyler, have him clean it up before it comes back to me. I realize I'm adding a middleman since I'm already going back and editing and doing the show notes. So I could just do it all at once. But I really like Tyler. Uh, so that answers the question of, do you edit your own interviews? Uh, I, I do. And Tyler does. Tyler is my, my piecer together and my leveler. And I do the, the little edits in between. Uh, would you ever do an alley on the run on the run interviewing someone during a run? No. Oh my gosh. I am so out of breath, even at my most easy conversational pace. There are people who do this very well. Carrie Tollefson does this and it's so fun. I could never. No, that doesn't sound fun to me. So I don't think I would. I think you would just be listening to me like gasping for air and making bathroom stops. So no. Okay. Two more categories. I know this is getting long. Let's talk briefly about some sponsor stuff. Lots of people want to know how much I'm getting paid for this. I'm not going to put a dollar amount on it, but 
People ask, do you make enough to consider it a living? Sorry if that's rude. It's not rude at all. I think talking about money is great. I think being transparent about it is great. I'm not going to give you a number of my salary if, you know, I'm freelance, but and I do other things beyond the podcast. That being said, yeah, um, I consider the podcast a part-time job. That being said, um, I think that just by the numbers of the podcast alone, it could certainly be considered a a decent full-time job salary. I'm certainly making more doing this than I did as an entry-level journalist living in Manhattan. Uh, Thank God. So yeah, I I do make enough to consider it a living. I've never really sat down and added it all up, though. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm getting closer to full-time job by the numbers. It's just weird because I'm not working like eight to five or eight to six or whatever. My hours are, you know, early morning and then midday. And then I take a little break late afternoon when I'm with Annie. Mondays, I don't work at all until bedtime. And then, yeah, every night after she goes to bed, I'm working pretty late into the night. So it's, you know, and I work weekends. It's, you know, it's the freelance life. So I don't really say like, is this part time? Is I don't put a label on it. How do you get sponsors? Do you approach them or do they come to you? It's both, though I think if I look back at the brands I've worked with, they have all approached me or there's been some like mutual introduction, like with Generation You Can. Um, Howie Kaflesky, who is just a wonderful human. (laughs) Yes, Kaflesky, Howie is Meb's brother. Uh, I was at an event and Howie introduced me to the team at Generation You Can because they have a long relationship with them and Um, And I've known Howie for years and Howie said, you two should meet. And then um, we did and we talked and we did the Boston Live show and have since developed a really great partnership. So that's how I got working with them. So yeah, it tends to be a lot of mutual introductions. And I think that that's a really great thing. It's also brands whose products I actually use. I was running in Aftershocks before I started working with Aftershocks. I used Strava before I started working with Strava. I have always snacked on those damn peanut butter chocolate Yukan bars that I can't put down. Uh, so yeah, and of course, like I've known about Yukan for such a long time. Sweaty Betty, I've, you know, they sponsored the Motherhood series and I've been wearing Sweaty Betty for a long time. So uh, for me, I get so many emails every single day from tons of brands, most of which I've not heard of saying, hey, we want to work with you. And that's, I'm not in this for like, yeah, the paycheck matters. Don't get me wrong. I love a paycheck. I want to be able to support myself, my family for a very long time. But I am not going to partner up with a product or brand that I don't use or believe in. If it's a product that sounds cool, I'm going to use it before I agree to work with them. So I think that that's really important to me, maintaining that integrity. And I hope that that comes across to listeners that when I'm saying Aftershocks are the best headphones, it's not because they're paying me to say that. Um, It's because they are the best. And then we started working together. And it's a really great, I think, uh, it's, it's a wonderful mutual admiration society. So hopefully that kind of answers how I get sponsors. Um. And then, yeah, I always wonder how much sponsors pay, especially Aftershock since they've sponsored you so long. So again, I'm not going to say exactly what they're paying me. I just don't think that that's really appropriate, I guess. But um, 
everyone does this differently. I think when I first got into podcasting, everyone was following this CPM model, right? So if you got a certain, you know, for every thousand listeners your show had, you could charge like $112 or whatever the, or like $30, whatever the um, market rate was. And there were so many places you can go and you still can to go read about the averages and all that. And right away I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I don't want a brand to, be obsessed with my numbers because I don't want to be obsessed with my numbers. I know the value of my community. I know that everyone who listens and supports this show is passionate about running, about community, about um, about supporting good brands just like I do. And so I didn't want it to be like, okay, well, if I have 3,000 downloads on this episode, you'll pay me this. If I get 10,000, it was. it's always, and my sponsors have been amazing about the way that I propose to do business, which is a flat rate for each episode. So um, it works great. And I will be transparent with you. I do not get a, a cut of any of the products that you buy that I am promoting on the show. So I tell you, go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get your Aeropex wireless headphones, $50 off. See how that just rolls off my tongue now? I am not getting any money when you go and buy those headphones, like from those headphones. Yes, Aftershocks and I work together, but I do not get a commission on those products. I do not get a commission when you support Generation You Can. On the run gets you 20% off. Uh, So I don't know, you know, everyone uses their purchasing power differently, but uh, I am not getting a cut. I, Aftershocks especially, is great to work with in that they have never called me and said, like, only two people use the code today, like breathing down my neck. Um, I know that hundreds of you have used that code, which is awesome. I think that's so cool that so many of us are wearing Aftershocks and that you heard about them here. Um, but we work together because we believe in each other and we're excited to be working together and supporting this running community together. So um, I know that doesn't answer how much they pay. Um but I think it's important to know kind of how it's set up. All right, one last category. You ready? Let's do it. Okay, so this is our other category, our grab bag, if you will. These are just questions that didn't fit anywhere else. I know you've stuck around here for a while. If you're still listening, thanks for being here. Let's bring it home. So random questions here kicking off with, have you ever scrapped an entire episode because it didn't turn out well? I have, if you can believe that. I have four episodes on my computer that I still have saved that I have not used. And I can tell you why. It's they, They're not personal, so it's fine. Okay, one was with this amazing woman, Teddy Sarah, who I've followed on Instagram forever. Her little dog, Pawnee, was a rescue and he has wheels. And I got to meet Pawnee. We recorded together in person. And I don't know if it was my computer, my headphones, or my mixer that bugged out while we were recording, there was this screeching sound that I didn't think was picking up on the audio. So I just ignored it. Yeah, it picked up on the audio. So that episode was completely unusable, which is sad. Teddy's not a runner. She does really amazing work for um, animal rights advocacy and animal rescue. And so I was just excited to talk to her about that. We still talk about recording it again because we should. She has a beautiful message to share with the world. We just haven't made it happen yet. So didn't use that one. Um, Fun fact, Amanda Nurse, whose episode you heard last week, Amanda and I had actually recorded an episode together before. It was about um, 
It was the same day that I recorded with Natalie Morales. So I mean, it was like two years ago. We recorded over Skype. I was so sick at the time because my Crohn's disease was flaring. It was such a brutal day. I was recording at, I was at Brian's office, but we were recording over Skype. And I didn't know Amanda very well at all. And I kept having to run to the bathroom because I was so sick. And I kept being like, oh, hang on. My Skype is being weird. And I would just hang up. I was so flustered that I went, I, afterward, I just felt so awful. I knew I hadn't done a good job. I was so distracted by how sick I was. I was flustered. I'm sure she thought I was insane. So I didn't end up using it. And then I reached out to her recently and was like, can we try again? And she was so nice and gracious and we just had the best time and now we're friends. But yeah, so we had actually recorded two years ago. I still have it saved. I'll never go back and listen to it because I was just, I was not in a good mental state for that. So yeah, I didn't record that one. And then um, when I was first launching the show, I recorded one with my friend Chloe, who is a awesome runner and she's a comedian. She's so funny. And the audio was just really, I was just starting out and um, the audio was really, really bad. And so um, I didn't end up using that one. And then... Um, if you follow Lottie Bilderici on Instagram, she's um, run on veg. She does a lot with Adidas. Lottie and I recorded together about, gosh, Lottie, chime in if you're listening. When was it? It was like maybe a year or so ago. And at the time we recorded, Lottie hadn't told anyone that she had had cancer when she was younger. She had leukemia. And by the end of the conversation, she was like, I think I'm going to share my story. And we hadn't talked about it on the podcast. And she said, she's like, sorry, I kind of danced around a couple of things. And I was like, no worries. And so we discussed, I was like, you know what, let's hold this episode. Like you share your story when you're ready and then we'll re-record. And so um, we haven't gone back. Lottie, let's go back and re-record and talk about it more. Um, she, cause she went on and then did an Iron Man. No big deal. So, and Lottie's great. So we haven't gone back and re-recorded, but yeah, those are the four. I think it's just those four that I recorded and didn't end up using. So it's not because the guests weren't great. All four of those women were amazing. Um, it was either for technical issues or issues on my end or, you know, things happen. It's okay. What are some things you never thought you would need for podcasting? I just think you need to have curiosity. I think that when I was planning all of this out, I was worried about the technical, the, the the logo, the intro music, all the little details that I thought mattered so much. But all that really matters, I think, is um, as a host, at least, I think it's curiosity and empathy. And I think those are, you know, those are qualities I like to think I've always led with and that are pretty inherent. But I think that if you're listening to this because you're considering starting a show of a similar format where you're talking to other people, if it's a solo show, it's totally different. If it's a storytelling, it's totally different. But if you want to have conversations with other people, I think that if you lead with curiosity and empathy, you're off to a really great start. You don't have to be an expert in anything. And I used to put pressure on myself to feel like I needed to be. Recording episode 13 with Chris Mosier was a huge breakthrough for me in realizing I don't have to have all the answers. I can ask for them without being ignorant, without being, you know, completely uneducated. Like, I'm never going to be able to memorize every, you know, every runner's stats. I'm, I'm never going to um, have the answer to solve some of the world's greatest problems, right? I can do my research and I can be really, really prepared and I will always over prepare. 
But I think that you need to have a level of humility of knowing that sometimes I might be wrong. Uh, sometimes a topic might come up that I'm not comfortable talking about or I'm not prepared talking about and I have to be able to navigate my way through that. So I think it's just, um, I think, I don't think I ever thought about it before, but I think you need to have empathy with yourself and with your guests and, and I think, you know, lead with that and you'll do great if you want to start a show. Was there a steep learning curve when you started podcasting or did it come to you fairly naturally? I don't think I'm the right person to ask. I think everyone listening is the one to ask, right? Um, I have a friend that I go to Orange Theory with and um, we started taking the same, well, I started taking the classes she's been taking for a long time, the very early time slot. And we got to talking and she found the podcast. And one day she's like, I feel like I know so much about you. And I'm like, why? She goes, I started listening to your podcast from the beginning. I was like, Monica, no, like you can't listen from the beginning. I go, you're doing it wrong. Listen to the most recent ones and go from there. Like these ones are better. And and she said, she's like, no, because I like seeing you get better. And I was like, well, you're a very nice human, but like I can't go back and listen to those early ones. I'm sure they were clunky and awkward. And um, isn't that life, though? Isn't that anything? We try something different. We're never going to be experts on day one. And so I think that the learning curve for me surrounded the technology more than the conversations. I think it probably took me a little bit of time to find my voice. But I think the advantages of having a background in journalism and having a blog for a long time are that I kind of, I've had my voice and I'm confident using it. I didn't know exactly how that would translate to podcasting, but it wasn't something I was worried about. It's just, I think, evolved as I have. And that's, that's life, man, right there. How did you grow your show? Again, you tell me, you're the ones listening. Uh, I think, you know, like I said earlier, it is about word of mouth. If you love the show, tell someone about it. I would appreciate it. Do you have a team or is everything just you? So I already talked about Tyler. Tyler is my team. The only other time that I'm enlisting someone else, of course, if I do a live show, I've got other people manning the audio. Um, I sometimes hire photographers or videographers to come to those events, which is nice to have. And if I am working on something like anytime I've done a series, which I love doing, I like to be able to have some kind of graphic to promote those. And so I have a graphic designer that um, he's, you know, he does freelance work. And so I'll just be like, hey, can you make an Instagram graphic? And he'll whip that up for me. So uh, but it's it's me primarily and my guy, Tyler. And that's the Ellie on the Run show team. And Annie and Ellie are very helpful. What was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome to be successful at this? Just getting started. I sat on this for so long. All I had to do was start. I've been wanting to start a podcast, but I'm worried the market is saturated and it's time consuming. Do you worry about this? Uh, Maggie, <laughs> stop worrying and just do it. Uh, you can always stop, right? Like if you start a podcast and you think it's cool, do it for a while. Don't obsess over the numbers. Do it as something you enjoy. Have fun. If after 20 episodes you're not enjoying it or you're not finding value in it, you can stop. That doesn't like mean anything. That's okay. So I wouldn't worry about the market being saturated. I think isn't every market eventually going to be saturated. So why not add your voice to the conversation? What lessons have you learned? That needs to be a separate episode. Uh, I've learned so many, so we'll do that one, I think, another time. But primarily, I think it's that a lot of people have 
amazing stories and they want to share them and they just haven't been given permission to do so. And to that I say you do not need permission to share your story. But a lot of people will say like, well, I don't have a blog or, you know, I don't I don't have a podcast. So where am I going to tell my story? Well, first of all, you come on the Alley on the Run show. We'll have so much fun. But a lot of people, and I've been this way myself, is that we wait for permission to do something. We wait for someone to tell us that's a good idea. You know, we wait for someone to say, yes, start your podcast. Don't worry about the market being oversaturated. And so I think that's an important lesson right there. Just do it. Nike, TM. How do you deal when people have opinions that oppose your own? So I think this is an interesting question because I'm not sure if the person who was asking it meant guests with opposing views or listeners. And so I'll just briefly address both. Guests with opposing, I mean, in general, everyone is allowed to have opposing views. That's why they're called opinions. I think that, uh, you know, I am not here talking about hard facts. I'm not really stating anything and saying this is the way on any topic ever. I very much welcome all kinds of opinions, beliefs, backgrounds on this show. I know I talked about that already. I am not interested in just having a lineup of guests who are just like me. There will be plenty of them, of course. Yeah, there's lots of people just like me in my circle that I talk to, that I follow. But how interesting is it to listen to the same conversations every week? How much are we all really going to learn by hearing the same stories and opinions, which every story is different, but I really welcome people whose opinions, whose values are different. I know I already mentioned some of those that really stood out to me, the the Halls, B.D. Deitch, Carolyn Sue, Chris Mosier. Um, I I think it is so important to be educated, and I think that getting to do so for me in these one-on-one conversations is valuable because, let's be honest, the Facebook section, you know, the comment section on Facebook isn't quite as productive as an hour-long conversation getting to know someone. So I really welcome those, and and always, if you have a story that you want to tell, if you know someone you think I should have on, like, by all means... Let's talk. As for guests who have um, opinions that oppose my own, I think that, um, you know, I don't know if this is the way the question was intended, but like what I'm putting out here is available for your consumption for free. Not everyone is going to like this show. Not everyone is going to like me. (laughs) So sad. Not everyone is going to like my guests. And that's fine. I think it's weird if you don't like me and you choose to keep listening to the show. I would say that there's something else out there for you. I am not in um, I'm not a proponent of hate listening, hate following. I think all of that is super yucky. That being said, I understand if someone came to the show because the guests sounded great and they were disappointed with my hosting. That's going to happen. And that's okay. Every week I say, leave a review for the Alley on the Run show on iTunes. So if a negative review pops up, I don't think that I get to get, you know, upset about that because I asked for feedback and that's part of having a public platform. This is a lesson I've had to learn since 2010 when I launched my blog. It's a hard lesson to learn. I have thin skin. I am I am very sensitive. I am not afraid to say that. Um, I don't do well with when people say mean things about me and 
that's just me. I'm sensitive and that's not a weakness. That's okay. So people are allowed to not like me. If you're listening to this and you don't like me, can I change your mind? I'm so nice. Um, But it's going to happen. I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I know people out there who are nice women, but they're not my cup of tea. Totally fine. It's going to happen. But please like me. I'm so nice. Okay, a couple more. Do you ever come down with a podcast version of writer's block? Literally never. There are endless stories to be told. I have an endless list of potential guests. I love doing this. What's your favorite part of hosting a podcast? The conversations and the responses to them. I love hearing what you love. And um, it's so cool when there's a surprising response. Two episodes that stand out to me, Megan Murphy and um, Rachel Wyman, who were both guests, both Jersey girls, which is so cool. Their episodes just went I mean, people went crazy for these women, and I'm not surprised because I know that they're amazing, but just um, the reaction to both episodes, I mean, Megan's people are still talking about, and that was back in January. That's so cool. And Rachel's was much more recent, but just to see how impacted people were by those episodes, that to me, I love when it's a surprise. You know, like I know people are going to go crazy for a Lauren Fleshman episode, for a Kara Goucher episode. I know that those are going to go over really well. It's cool when I have on just women that, you know, I hate to say everyday women, but like those conversations with women who maybe aren't famous or professional runners and people just lose it for them. They love them so much. That's so rewarding. And I love seeing that happen. What is your least favorite part of hosting a podcast? Uh, Stressing over Skype and having to schedule the conversations around childcare. I feel really bad when I'm like, I can record between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And a lot of professional runners want to record in the afternoons because they're running in the morning. So it's, you know, I just that's like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of stress and stressing over Skype. So just anything technology related, I would say. Last question. Okay, where do you see your show in five years? I don't know where I see the show in five months. So I don't have a five-year plan. I never have. All I know is I want to keep interacting with everyone listening. I want to keep having these great conversations. I want to keep trying new things. That's I'm really proud of the different series I've done. I'm proud of the live shows. The first series I did, I think, was the um, What's New With You week, where I caught up with past guests. And I love doing that. And when I did that, it was just a random idea. It wasn't something I had seen anywhere else. And now I've done a bunch of these different series. And I'm really proud of that because I think it's, you know, original ideas can be hard to come by when everyone's doing everything, right? And listen, I did not invent this idea by any means. Uh, but it wasn't something I had seen done anywhere else. And So it felt like an original idea to me. And then I did the motherhood series and the Ask the Experts series and the You Can Run a Marathon series. And I love having those special conversations to add to these weekly conversations. So I hope I keep doing stuff like that. And I hope, um, I basically hope that any idea I have, I act on. That's my personal hope for myself is that I don't ever sit on an idea like I did before I launched this show, that I don't ever waste my own time because that's not fun. So how'd we do? Did I answer all your questions? I hope so. This was long and I'm sorry, my throat is so sore, but we did it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, just me, on this episode of the Alley on the Run show. It was kind of fun to break this all down and reflect on just how far the show has come. 
seriously, don't go back and listen to those first few episodes. The, the guests were amazing, but man, was I new. So if you do go back and listen, uh, appreciate the fact that it's gotten better. And maybe if you can figure it out, just like mute my side of the conversation. Uh, if you love that the show has gotten better over time, or if you're new and you're enjoying it, the best way to let me know what you love is by leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Hit me up, give it five stars, whatever you think I'm worthy of. Let me know what you like. It only takes a minute and I would really appreciate it. And as I mentioned on the show, share it with your friends. Tell someone about this episode. Well, I don't know if this episode is the one to tell them about, but tell them about your favorite episode. Share the love. Post it on Instagram. Tag me. I'm Allie on the Run 1. I'm also Allie on the Run on Twitter. And you can find me on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. Let's just be friends everywhere. Finally, big thanks to Aftershocks for sponsoring this episode of the Alley on the Run show. Ontherun.aftershocks.com gets you $50 off Aeropex wireless headphones. I don't get a cut of that, like I said, but use the code. It makes me look good. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com. All right, whatever your dream is, I challenge you. Take three steps today to get a little closer to it. How's that sound? Good? Report back. And thanks for joining me on the run.